Great music this morning, huh? Actually, uh, you'll also see in your worship folder that if you enjoy what our orchestra does, the community concert band, uh, of which many of them are part, are giving a concert tomorrow evening at uh, Milligan at 7. Or you can go with the youth to Kingsport for a worship fest at 7. Or you can come down here to the church for a board of directors meeting followed by a deacon council meeting with me. <laughs> Boy, that, that's a hard choice, I know. <laughs> the text for the message this morning is found once again in the second chapter of Galatians. Second chapter of Galatians, while you're finding that, uh, I don't have to tell you that one of the perils of life in the digital age is what we call identity theft. It's when someone pretends to be you in order to get something of yours. Sometimes they will take out charge accounts in your name and run up large bills that they hope you get stuck with. Or maybe they'll file your income tax before you do, hoping to sneak in and get your refund before you can. It's a dangerous sort of thing in our present age, and we're told that what we can do to avoid that is to safeguard our information, uh, our important, particularly our social security numbers. Don't let anyone have that. The last four digits maybe, but not all of it. I was a little surprised recently to open up a textbook that I had bought way back in 1983 to find not only had I written my name in it, but I'd written my social security number right underneath my name. In fact, I think it was my student ID number at the time. I can't recall exactly. In fact, back in the 1970s in Oklahoma, if you owned a horse trailer or stock trailer or something like that, you were required to put your social security number in three inch high letters on the back of your trailer and drive down the highway as an identification. We can't imagine something like that in this day and age, can we? It's just too dangerous to do something like that. Our society views the use of another person's identity as unacceptable behavior, even criminal behavior. And so it may surprise you to know that Christians, by definition, are people who have assumed the identity of another. In fact, the name Christian means little Christ. We have assumed the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've taken on His identity, and it's not an identity we were born with. Rather, it's one we are blessed with. We didn't steal it, it was given to us, but at great personal expense to the one whose identity we bear. And because Christ died so we could live, we should live our lives not for ourselves, but for Him. And that's what I want to speak about this morning in a message that is in many ways as much personal testimony as it is a sermon. It's in Galatians chapter 2. The scripture text I'm using is probably the closest thing to a life verse that I have. It's the 20th verse of Galatians 2, and because it's just one verse, I won't ask you to stand, but listen as I read it for you. 
The Apostle Paul writes these words to the Galatian Christians. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, in order to understand the closing words of this verse about the love that Paul experienced and, and, and gave for, for Paul, uh, we have to see it in its context. The only way we can understand the first part of the verse is to make sure we first understand the last part of the verse. And that's a very important thing. It was an awesome realization for Paul that Christ loved him and that Christ died for him. Because before Paul became a Christian, as you may know, he had violently persecuted Jesus by persecuting the church. He was imprisoning those who were formerly Jews who had professed faith in Christ. He was trying to correct them, to punish them. And he was on his way to Damascus with letters that empowered him to do those very things when the risen Lord Jesus appeared to him in a bright light and spoke to him. At the time, Paul's name was Saul, and Jesus asked him a question. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked him, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul was persecuting the church. What that tells us is how closely Jesus identifies with His church. We need to be very careful about denigrating or criticizing or in any way undermining the church because Jesus identifies with the church. It is His body. It is Jesus Himself. Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had this wonderful experience on the road to Damascus. He came to faith in Christ in that moment. But even while Paul was blaspheming the name of Jesus, even while he was putting Christians in prison, Jesus loved him. Before Paul cared one bit for Jesus or his mission or his church, Jesus loved him. Before you cared one bit for Jesus or his mission or his church, Jesus loved you and he died for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we had any thought for Him, before we cared for Him in the least, Christ died for us. It's the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. And so we see here not just the power of Christ's death and resurrection for giving Paul new life. We see also the power of love in Paul's life. Yes, it was a magnificent thing for Paul to see the risen Jesus. He knew that Jesus had been crucified in Jerusalem. 
And to see the risen Lord Jesus, it changed his whole perspective. It, it changed his whole orientation that someone had risen from the dead. This must be who he claims to be, the Christ. But it was Christ's love for him that also impacted his life. To be loved is a powerful thing. It's why Paul says, he loved me and gave himself for me. The love even comes first there, you will see. We all want to be loved. We all need to be loved. And when someone does love us, and we know it, we're aware of it, our whole outlook on life is changed for the better. My life was certainly transformed by my wife Paula's love for me in ways you can never even imagine. Now, it took me a while to persuade her that she loved me. <laughs> but once I did, it changed my life and hers. Mine for the better. You'll have to ask her about the rest. <laughs> but Paul's life was transformed by Jesus' love for him. It was a life-changing thing. And Paul was all the more amazed by it because of how he thought of himself as a persecutor of the church, that, that God loved him of all people. He calls himself in 1 Corinthians 15, the least of all the apostles. In Ephesians chapter 3, he calls himself the very least of all the saints, literally less than the least of all the saints. And then in his mature years in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul referred to himself as the chief, the very worst of all sinners. Paul was utterly and completely amazed that the Son of God, as he says, loved me and gave himself for me. He died for me. Now I want to tell you something that I first heard at a pastor's conference years ago from the late Dr. Buckner Fanning about God's love. And he put it this way. He said, I'm going to tell you something, and I don't want you to jump to a conclusion. Because, he said, if jumping to a conclusion were an Olympic event, the Baptists would win the gold every time. <laughs> and I have come to see there's a lot of truth in that, so don't jump to a conclusion. But he went on to say what I say to you, and that is, God does not love all of us in this room today. God loves each of us in this room today. Do you see the difference? God doesn't love you just because you're a part of the all. God doesn't love you just because you're one of everybody that God loves. God loves you because God loves you individually, specifically. He loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. God loves you. And the preachers have said it for generations because it's true. If you were the only one who had ever sinned and needed forgiveness, Jesus would have gone to the cross and died for you just the same. That's how much God loves you. God carries your picture in His wallet. God has your picture on the front of His refrigerator. Because God loves you, each 
of you individually, specifically, immeasurably. And knowing that was what inspired the great hymn writer Charles Wesley to write those magnificent words, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And knowing that is what inspired me to surrender my life to Christ in vocational Christian ministry 44 years ago next month. I had pursued at that time what I thought I wanted in my life, and I was blessed enough to achieve it. But after I did, I realized that it was empty. It didn't have any significance. It wasn't satisfying the way I had thought it would be, the way I had hoped it would be. Mel Gibson, the actor, once said something similar. He said, I've been offered every kind of excess that wealth and fame can provide, and I can tell you it's not enough. And God was gracious enough to let me learn that lesson while I was still a teenager. And it changed my perspective. Partly through the use of a dramatization of Jesus' life, the Jesus film, if you've heard of it. It's been around, obviously, for decades. Partly through that film, God spoke to my heart. He called me into ministry. Late one night, in my fraternity house, I was reading the account of Jesus' crucifixion in the Gospel of Luke. And suddenly, as if it were a revelation from above, I became personally, intimately aware that Jesus did that for me. That He suffered that beating, that He went to that cross, that He died for me. It was a revelation indeed. I really can't call it anything else. It was an amazingly overpowering sense that Jesus had given His life for me. And something like that demands a response. Now, I'd already trusted Christ for my salvation some years before, but as a result of this, I, I felt an urgent need to serve Him with all of my life, with everything that I am and have. And I learned the important lesson that the praise of men is empty and vain and unsatisfying, meaningless. I wanted God's praise because it's the only praise that counts. It's the only praise that lasts. I wanted to hear God say to me one day, well done, good, faithful servant. And I knew that the only things I would ever accomplish that would have any eternal significance, that wouldn't melt into insignificance in the dustbins of history, would be the things that I did for my Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a person doesn't have to go into vocational ministry to serve the Lord that way. We ought all to serve the Lord that way, whatever our vocations may be. We should leverage those as best we can for the kingdom of God to accomplish the mission and the purpose of Christ. Where we are, God uses people in their vocations to accomplish things many times that, that vocational 
uh, 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 ministers can't. We ought all to serve Him that way. But for me, God's call was clear. And for the last 44 years, I've done my very best to answer that call. To go where God has led me. To speak when God gives me opportunity. No matter how imperfectly I may have done it, it has been my objective and my goal and my desire. And I'll be perfectly frank with you, ministry is exhausting. And it is frequently disappointing and discouraging and even demoralizing. But when I think of what Jesus went through for me, then I'm glad I'm living my life to serve Him. I'm glad that I've given myself to Him to use however He sees fit. I am privileged to get to do what I do, to stand before you and proclaim the greatness of God's love for you and you and you and you and you. That was Paul's testimony too. The love and the sacrifice that Christ had made on Paul's behalf led Paul to die to his own will so that he could live for Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he says, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Because Jesus loved Paul enough to die for Paul, Paul in turn loved Jesus enough to live for Jesus. Jesus loved Paul and Paul loved Jesus in return. Now that's a response I can identify with. I can understand a response like that. When you learn and realize fully and completely for the, for the first or the thousandth time that, that someone has died on your behalf, it makes perfect sense to me to want to give one's life in service to that person who sacrificed, who died for you. That adds up. That computes. What I can't understand, what doesn't make a bit of sense to me, are disobedient Christians. Those who call themselves Christians anyway. Those who haven't felt compelled to give their lives to Christ. Those who haven't understood that we are crucified with Him to let Him live through us. I don't understand that. How can you believe that Jesus endured the cross for you and not want to live for Jesus? How could you ever watch a, a movie like the Jesus film or the Passion of the Christ and not be willing to make a personal sacrifice of obedience to demonstrate your love for the one who died for you? How could you see him beaten and bleeding for you and decide that worshiping him and studying his word aren't as important as sleeping in or a trip to the lake on a Sunday morning? How could you know that Jesus gave his very life for you and you refused to give a mere tenth of your income to his church for him? When I see in my mind's eye the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross for me, I am compelled by gratitude and by love 
to lay everything I have, everything I am on His altar and say, Lord, I take up my cross to be crucified with You. Now You live through me. Push me out of the way, Lord. Live through me if You can. Paul was moved by love to serve Jesus. That is, to live for Jesus. And he tells us that we ought all to have the same mindset. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died, and He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for Him who died for them and was raised again. That we should not live for ourselves, but like Paul, live for Christ, the one who died for us, gave Himself for us. He paid our price on His cross, he died for us so we could live. Can we not commit ourselves to live for Him? The late Baptist pastor and author Leslie B. Flynn recounted a story about an orphan boy who was living with his grandmother when their house caught fire. And the grandmother tried in vain to get upstairs to rescue the boy, but she was overcome by the smoke and ultimately by the flames, and she perished. The boys' cries for help went out far and wide. Finally, they were answered by a man who climbed up an iron drain pipe on the outside of the house and came back down with the boy hanging tightly around his neck. The boy was saved. And many weeks later, a public hearing was held to try to determine who should be given custody of this now completely orphaned boy. And there was a farmer who showed up, a teacher, even the town's wealthiest citizen. They all gave good reasons for why they should be given custody of the boy, why they were best suited to bring him up. As they talked, though, the boy's eyes remained focused on the floor but then a stranger walked in and went to the front and pulled his hands from his pockets, revealing severe burn scars on both of them. The crowd gasped, and when they did, the boy looked up. He recognized the man who had saved his life. His hands had been burned when he climbed that hot drain pipe, and the boy leaped up and ran to the man and threw his arms around him and wouldn't let go. And the others turned in silence and left. They knew, they knew that those burned, scarred hands had settled the question once and for all. And so it is with Jesus. His nail-scarred hands remind us how much He loves us that He gave Himself for us, that He went to a cross on our behalf so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could be saved now and forever. 
Has Christ's love and sacrifice for you moved you enough to serve Him, to live for Him? The Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that life I now live in the flesh, in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Do you love Him enough to live for Him? To share His love with others? To reveal Him to a lost and dying world? Friends, if we want to help a lost world see the crucified Christ, we have to be willing to show them a crucified church, a church that is more interested in serving than in being served. And frankly, the church hasn't done a very good job of that in recent years. There's an old evangelistic presentation that has as a part of it a question. God asks, if, I should, uh, if you should die tonight, why should I let you into my heaven? And I hope that your answer would be something like this. Because even while I was a selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed sinner who cared nothing about Him, Jesus loved me enough to die on the cross for me, to pay the price for my sins. And now with all of my heart, I love Him. I believe in Him. I want to live for Him with all that I am and all that I have, I want to please Him, my Savior and my Lord, Jesus Christ. That's why. Jesus loved you enough to die for you. Do you love Him enough to live for Him? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we... We are humbled by your love. We are amazed at your grace. That you love us just as we are, not as we ought to be, not as we wish we were, not as we one day hope to be, but as we are, you love us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord, I pray that all of us in this place this morning might have that same revelation I had in that fraternity house 44 years ago. That we might recognize, even if for the very first time, the depth of your love and the sacrifice made by Jesus for us. And I pray, God, we might respond to that and be compelled by that to love you and to serve you all the days of our lives. Make it so, God. Make it so. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.